Holy Week. So I'm going to read the text here from Mark 11, 1 through 11. It's going to pop up on your screen, and then we'll dive, I'll pray, and then we'll dive in. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here, and if anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they'd cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And Jesus entered Jerusalem, went into the temple courts, looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, thank you. I thank you that you are present among your people today, every day, always. Make us more aware of that. Lord, I pray that by the preaching of your word this morning, we would come to a greater understanding of your work in our lives and that that would anchor us to be a hopeful and joyful people in the darkness of the times we live. I thank you for the gift of baptism. Thank you for the gift of Nate. Thank you for the gift of a body of people committed to living a life centered around your son, Jesus. And I pray this morning for those among us that are sick or in trial, Lord, that you would just be with them in a particular way, in a special way. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you'd whisper in their ear and remind them of how loved they are and how near you are. And that you would do all this in the name of your son, Jesus, whom we read about, sing about, Love and know. Amen. One of my earliest church memories is this thing called the Passion Play. So every year around Easter, the church that I went to as a kid would put on this production of massive proportions. And it would walk through Jesus' life, particularly kind of the last week of his life. And they had it got larger and larger every year. This included special effects, costumes, and the highlight for me, live animals. To this day, to smell a donkey is to see in my mind Jesus riding into that sanctuary on a donkey and to hear the crowd shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, as they wave their palm branches when he comes down the aisle and heads towards the stage. This production of this drama did in me what I would imagine was its intent. It etched into my mind a particular memory, and it created an association with a powerful story. It's not just something our church was doing at the time. It's something I believe Christians have been doing throughout time, and even the Jewish people are doing in the story we see today. It's this process of practicing using physical reminders that point to spiritual realities. 
The scene we most commonly know and read about this morning is the triumphal entry. Thousands of people have gathered in Jerusalem and the surrounding villages to do just that. They've come to celebrate the Passover, the time in the Old Testament when uh, in the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel were spared and God's people were delivered. And so through generations and generations, people would come around and celebrate this moment. They begin to orient their lives around this particular story. And this morning we have an opportunity to continue orienting our lives around the story of Jesus. He was the one they were waiting for. And so it's this glorious moment of his arrival. And so I believe that the text this morning is making an invitation to us. It's making an invitation to us to be a people that orient our lives in such a way that we're reminded of this one powerful truth among the many things that are true in Scripture. But this one today, that Christ is the king we need in our stories. And that's the big idea this morning, that Palm Sunday is a reminder that Christ is the king we need in our stories. Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's riding this donkey and it's this powerful moment that turns a pretty ordinary day into this extraordinary reminder. And so there's just two reminders I want to pull out of our story today. The first is this. It's the reminder that God keeps his promises. The details in this story serve as a reminder to us that God has a long, sure plan. And while Mark's gospel doesn't explicitly state it, you can find this story in all the gospels and piece some things together. There's a very specific prophecy from Zechariah 9.9 that the smell of this donkey or the sight of this donkey would conjure in our minds. Zechariah 9.9 says, Say to your daughter Zion, see your king comes gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. And for reference here, scholars believe this was written some 500 years before Jesus arrives on the scene this day. And it's details like this that are in the scriptures that can anchor us in our lives and the story of our lives to know that God has a history of doing what he says he's going to do. And now that can go one of two ways for you this morning. You can say, look. Wow, uh, if it takes God 500 years to show up in my story, I would like you to tell me a different story, please. Or we can look at this and say, wow, let's step back. We can look at this and expand our view of what's possible with God by acknowledging that though his plans are long, they are sure. And to be more specific, the big promise that God's keeping here is the promise to come. To come as King, Messiah, Lord. To come into the midst of the chaos and brokenness of our world. To come and be a God that's with His people and for His people. And that means for us, that's a reminder today that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, has come. He's in our stories and we are in His. He is our God and we are His people. And that's good news. And it's a big, big promise. And it's not just a big, big promise. It's a timely promise. So let's step back in the story for a moment and consider when this is happening. Again, we use some of the details of the other Gospels to get a timeline here. We know it's just before the Passover. From that, we understand that within the next week or so, Jesus is going to enter the temple again 
flip the tables over. He's going to be betrayed by Judas. He's going to eat the last supper with his disciples. He's going to sweat blood in the garden of Gethsemane, be turned over to the authorities, arrested, spat on, beaten, flogged, denied three times by his best friend, and then ultimately crucified. And what I want us to see this morning is that the promise-keeping nature of God does not mean we're going to have the absence of hardship. The promise-keeping nature of God does not mean we're going to avoid suffering. It does not mean we will avoid betrayal. It does not mean we will avoid death. And so when you're sitting in those spaces, it's not because God has not kept His promises. Friends, it means that we have a God who has kept his promise, is still keeping promises, and will keep keeping promises so we can drop an anchor of hope into those dark, desperate moments of our stories rather than avoiding them. Why? Because we know this isn't how the story ends. We know Jesus doesn't just die. We know that our God, our King, the one who rode into this city in humility, walked into that dark, deadly ending in obedience as we sung this morning. He has risen from the grave and He lives in you and me today. And so if you feel like God is absent in your life or in your situation, if you feel like your story doesn't add up because it doesn't appear to be going so well, then let the reminder be that Jesus is in your story. And let that sink in as you look at the details of your life. I'd invite you to do that. Do it right now. Do it this week. Find some quiet time. Close your eyes. Find some space with the Holy Spirit to sit. And ask yourself this question. Where have I seen God fulfill a promise? Where have I seen God fulfill a promise? And then look again, because I want to be really clear. I don't mean where did I get the outcome I wanted in a situation. I don't mean where did I get the thing that I prayed about. I want to be really clear. What I mean is where did God show up and do something that was outside of your planning or your expectations in such a way that you could not credit anything but God? Friends, when we do that, we will start being formed into the kind of people that can trace God through the details of our stories, the details of our lives. And we can recognize the promise keeping nature of God. And then that will allow us to rely on this second reminder even more fully. The second reminder is this. God is actively working. The story on the scene on the surface, is full of pomp and circumstance. My friends over here have their palm branches. If you have some at your home, uh, wave them around. The whole scene of Christ entering in the crowd with the palm branches and the shouts of Hosanna would have been quite the spectacle. And to go just below the surface, a lot of this jubilation that's happening, this, the, the celebration that's happening, it's built on the expectations of this people over 500 years to see this king come, to see this Messiah come and overthrow the government. They're ready for God to show up and show out. The word Hosanna can be translated as save us. 
They're literally screaming to Jesus, save us, save us. These people are ready to see God do something and here comes Jesus. He's not on a war horse. He's on a donkey. A donkey's moved pretty slow, if you're not familiar. Here comes Jesus into the temple. And what does he do? He just sort of looks around. And the village is full, so he heads out for the night to go find a place to sleep. For all the hype in this story, it's important to recognize it's pretty anticlimactic. It's not the climax. It's not the pinnacle. It's a detail. It's a stop on the journey. It's part of a long and short plan. And it's a reminder for us that God is actively working even when it doesn't meet our expectations. What's clear in the story is we need to remember in our lives that Christ has come to fulfill every purpose that he came to fulfill, even when that didn't meet the expectations we had set for him. And friends, that's good news. If we are relying on God to only meet our expectations, we're going to miss out on some of the incredible things God wants to do in our stories, in our lives. Because quite frankly, our expectations are too small often. Zoom out for a moment on your life. Again, there's got to be a chance. I'd say it's a 99% chance that you're sitting in some unmet expectation right now. I would ask the Holy Spirit right now to bring that place to your mind. And when it comes, let me remind you this morning that God is actively working there. Can Jesus remind you this morning as you watch his example of faithfulness to come and to move towards his people, to move towards a difficult, deadly Ending of his life? Can you let that remind the situation you're thinking about that it won't have the last word? It's a pattern. And I think we need to observe it and follow it if we want to look more like Jesus. If we want to be more open to allowing the Holy Spirit, God's continual presence with us, to anchor us to be more like Jesus... If we want to move towards the hardship and suffering in our world, then we have to do that with a recognition that God is actively working. And we need to know that and remember that sometimes before we get in the mess. We need to be open to seeing here there's a method to God's madness that he's working out a plan for our good and his glory. And it's not going to be all high fives and celebrations. One of the things I distinctly remember about the Passion Play was the same faces, same costumes, same voices, same crowd, same people shouting Hosanna about 30 minutes later are shouting, crucify him. And if we can orient our lives to see that life really is a continuum between those two things and Christ is sort of right in the middle of them, then we can begin to see more clearly that God's still working in the world even when it feels like he's not. I know this is easier said than done. I just flipped through the news cycle this week a couple of times, and I read that some 15,000 unaccompanied minors are facing a dire situation at our border right now. Mass shootings still happening. 
Violence against Asian Americans still rising. Lawmakers being arrested for trying to make laws. And we know that we're in the middle of a pandemic that has taken the lives of over 2.76 million people. And if we know all that, then we have to ask ourselves, how do we live in the tension of what we feel, what we see, what we expect God to do? And the truth that God keeps his promises and is actively working because it seems like surely these two things can't be true. I'll offer three quick points of application to try to answer this question this morning. The first is this. We got to learn the story. To learn the story. I say this in all love and gentleness, friends. It is difficult to take God at his word if we don't know it. Or if we only know someone else's version of it. Some of us can't stand on the promises of God or see God working because we don't live in an awareness of the story happening in these scriptures. How did the people in the crowd that day know or perceive that this was the king, that this was the Messiah, this was the one? Because they knew the story. Because for generations they had been told the words of the prophecy of Zechariah. Because they had heard that this Jesus was going around in these towns fulfilling all of these other prophecies that they knew about and lived in. Word was spreading about this Jesus and his ability to raise the dead, for the blind to receive sight, for the lame to walk, for miraculous feedings to take place. They knew the story. They knew the pattern of God and they were formed by it. And we have that same opportunity today. A slow and careful, constant reading or of listening to this book, this Bible, this living, active, breathing word will produce a fruit in our lives if we steep them in the awareness of God's activity around us. And just if you'll indulge me for a moment, I'll tell you, it is a pretty incredible story. I'm going to give you like seven quick highlights. Here's one. In this story, there's a formless, voidless world. That's bizarre. And a creator God, out of nothing, creates everything. And then he calls it good. Very good. In this story, God promises this childless old man and his wife, who is described as unable to conceive a child, that their descendants will outnumber the stars in the sky. And we sing, Father Abraham have many sons today. In this story, God uses a boy sold into slavery by his own brothers to interpret dreams, gain the favor of a powerful ruler, and ultimately preserve a people group through a famine. In this story, God asks a man who is slow of speech to go tell a powerful ruler with his mouth to release the people he's held in slavery for generations. And then he uses that man to lead the people group through a sea that parts when they step into it and walk on dry land. In this story, God sends an angel to speak to a virgin girl about the child she carries in her womb who is going to be the Savior of the world. In this story, that child, we call him Jesus, calls disciples unto himself, performs miracles, tells stories about the story, and lives a life that fully reflects the heart of the one writing the whole story. And in this story, that Jesus dies. 
But then he's risen and he promises to come again and he leaves us with the Holy Spirit. A promise that he will never, ever leave us alone. That Jesus is on every page of this story, in every moment of our lives, in every detail. And so the second point of application then is this. We've got to look for Jesus in the story. Look for Jesus in the story. Richard Foster, who has done some writing on the spiritual disciplines and spiritual formation, he talks about there being two great books for the Christians to study. Scripture, we just talked about that one. And nature, or the created world around us. And I want to encourage us in the same vein this morning. Look for Jesus in the story. Look for him on these pages as we are slowly steeping. And then look for God, look for Jesus at work in your life and in the world around you. There are a lot of other stories fighting for your attention. A lot of other stories and voices are forming you in ways that we're not even completely aware of. And so I want to ask you this morning to be a seeker of Jesus. Either for the first time or again. Become a person that is looking for Jesus, expecting Jesus, longing for Jesus, crying for Jesus. Hosanna, the God who saves us, the one who is worthy of every one of our praises. Look for him because the good news, friends, is he can be found. Jesus is the clarity we need. Jesus is the hope we need. Jesus is the love we need. On every page of our story. We're not living outside of this story, friends. We're living in this story. And so if we're living in it, then we ought to live that way. And so the third point of application is this. We should live in the story. What would people living in the story look like? I think we'd look like people who trust God more fully, who live more freely, walk a little bit lighter. Not because life is going to start getting easier, but because we're going to have a greater awareness that God is with us and God is working in the middle of our mess. Living in the story looks like steeping ourselves into the rich traditions of a Christ-centered community of faith. It looks like celebrating baptism. It looks like celebrating affirmations of faith, dedicating babies, having weddings, promotions, new jobs, graduations, transitions, and the like. It looks like funerals. It looks like vigils. It looks like mourning and praying and grieving and sorrow and lamenting. It looks like worshiping through reading Scripture and singing songs together. When you can't, when you can't do it together, you, you do it on Zoom. And sometimes in the parking lot. And sometimes on YouTube. It looks like popping up a food pantry in your sanctuary. It looks like becoming a pen pal. It looks like sending somebody a Valentine's card to say, I see you. I love you. 
It looks like witnessing to this unbelieving world around us and testifying to the promise-keeping nature of God, this God that we can know personally. Friends, I want you to hear my heart this morning. I'm not asking you to increase your church attendance or your service activity. I'm not asking you to do activity for activity's sake. What I'm asking you to do is live your story, live your life saturated in the kind of activity that will regularly remind you of this powerful truth. This is more than a passion play. It's more than a fairy tale. It's more than a fable or a figment of our imagination. It's a true and living story that is meant to be lived in. So get comfortable. I'll close with this story. As a kid, I um, had this flip book of Pele, who's a, a Brazilian soccer player. And, and he was, he's doing a, a perfect bicycle kick. And if you don't know what a flip book is, it was this little booklet of still photographs. Um, and on each page, when you flip through them, it starts to move more quickly, and then the story's in motion. So you're flipping through it. And so what began with Pele, with his feet planted on the grass and defenders all around him, motions through the perfect bicycle kick where he's parallel to the ground, his feet go up and... It's in the back of the nets. What would our lives look like if this became a picture for us? If on every page, every detail, we saw it as a promise kept. If on every image, we saw it as God with us. And what if frame by frame, picture by picture, we were reminded that God is with us. If we could see it moving towards the end that God has in mind, good for us and for the world. Friends, the reminder this Palm Sunday that Christ is the king we need in our stories is a reminder of the promise that God's with us and he's working. And even when it doesn't look good, it's for our good. Learn that story. Look for Jesus in that story. And live in that story. Let's pray. Gracious God, you are good. You are bigger than even we can imagine you are. And so I pray right now by the power of your Holy Spirit that you comfort your people You comfort your people who feel as if they are walking through darkness, who are walking through darkness, and remind them of the truths that you are coming again. Anchor us in the reality that you're a God saturating our lives. And let us become a people who look more like you, love more like you, and live.